0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 305 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. It happens to be a chilly date here. Hope all of you are staying warm wherever you are. Today I'm going to be talking about things to stop doing. There's a list of things. I've got eight of them for this episode that I think are getting in the way of you getting your goals. And so I'm going to give you eight things to stop doing so that you can get on the path to smashing goals beyond where perhaps you can dream today. So we're going to get to that in just a second. First, a couple notes. One, I wanted to thank my sponsor for this episode, BetterHelp. I'll be talking more about my partnership with them mid-episode and giving you an offer code. They are the largest online therapy provider. So I'll get to that when we talk about it mid-episode. Secondly, I wanted to mention and talk quickly about a new resource out there produced by a fellow podcaster, running podcaster, Tina Muir. Tina was actually supposed to be on this week's episode, but we have had to reschedule that, so I'll have her on at a future date. But she has just put out a new YouTube series talking about Red S, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport which is a condition often inadvertently created by underfueling when trying to perform in sport. Distance runners can be particularly prone to it. And it's something that can have relatively mild symptoms such as just general fatigue and malaise and inability to perform. And those symptoms can progress to additional issues from losing your period as a woman, having lower libido, hair loss, having trouble regulating body temperature, hormonal issues, hormonal imbalances, and generally things that prevent you from feeling good, feeling strong, and being able to do what you want to do in this sport. And so Tina has a video series that's organized in a few different playlists that help you, if you have questions about Red S, help you figure out if you have Red S, help you know what the symptoms might be, and then, of course, how to work through it if you... Tina had it and faced it for nine years of her life. And I know other elite athletes who have done the same. It's something that can affect men or women. It's something that can happen inadvertently. So you may be trying to get enough fuel, but just not for whatever reason being able to do so. And as a result, your body then goes into a fueling deficit and then it starts to pull resources away from other life-giving functions because it's trying to protect itself and help you be able to do whatever you're asking it to do. And so that's when those other symptoms start to kick in. And, and it's a confusing and perhaps complicated situation that can be complex and require a team of the right resources to help you work through it. So I will share the link to that YouTube video series and those playlists. In the show notes, I think if you're a distance runner just watching some of those videos, even if you don't think you have red S, is helpful for building awareness about it because I don't think it's as commonly known, the potential ramifications of it are as commonly known as they should be, so they can help you identify those warning signs perhaps for yourself as well as perhaps for those in your running community so that anybody can get the right resources if they happen to face this type of an issue. So go watch a few of those videos, just get a little bit educated on it, whether or not you think you might have this sort of challenge. And certainly if you do think you have this sort of challenge, these videos are going to be a great resource. Tina will be a great resource and I'm hoping to have her on a future podcast to talk exactly about this topic. So go check that out. Again, I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay, let's jump in on my topic today. We're going to talk about eight things that you might be doing that I want you to stop doing so that you can get your goals. This is a list of things that I think in some cases fall into the category of, hey, well, occasionally I can cheat this and it'll be fine. But truly, I'm going to say it. As bluntly as I can. If you're doing these things, you might be able to perform. You might be able to still get some results. But I am I will unequivocally say that if you're doing some of these things, then you will ultimately limit your long-term potential. You will not achieve your fullest potential. And I want you to achieve your fullest potential. That's why I do this podcast. And so These are areas that might be things that you're intentionally letting slide for whatever reason. It could also be areas where you're just not aware of the potential impact, but I'm going to talk about eight things that I want you to stop doing so that you can reach your fullest potential in this sport. So, here we go. Number one, stop going too fast on your easy days. Some of you may have predicted that this would be on the list, but... I want to say unequivocally, stop going too fast on your easy days. I get it. It's counterintuitive. We think we have to run fast in order to get faster. But I can tell you unequivocally that if you're running too fast on your easy days, then you're absolutely limiting your long-term potential in the sport for a variety of reasons. What are those reasons? Number one we go easy on our easy days, we actually build the appropriate part of the aerobic system that we're trying to build on those easy days. That is building aerobic capacity, your global ability to process oxygen that builds and develops at easy efforts for longer and more miles. That is the simple fact about how our aerobic system works and develops if you want to increase lung capacity, if you want to improve your bloodstream's ability to carry oxygen, if you want to add blood vessels to your working muscles, if you want to add mitochondria to your cells so that your cells can perform respiration more efficiently with more oxygen fueling them, then you will run easy on your easy days so that all of those elements become as robust as possible because you are not building those elements as well and as thoroughly if you're running too fast, because that shifts you into a, an aerobic development zone that is different. The analogy I like to use, and I've used it before on this podcast, is the car analogy. When we run easy and we run, when we run more and longer, we build the size of our engine. We add cylinders to our engine. When we run fast, we do speed work, we fine-tune our engine. And you'd much rather have a big V8 than you would a revved up, highly f- and finely tuned four cylinder. The v 8s going to win every single time because it's got more overall power. And that's what's happening when you run easy on your easy runs. You build your engine. You increase the cylinders in your aerobic system. And if you're going too fast, you're not doing that. You're fine tuning. You're revving up that four cylinder. So that's reason number one. If you want to get the most out of yourself, you have to spend that time in your easy aerobic development zone where you're getting the most bang for your buck out of that global ability for your body to process oxygen. That's reason number one. Reason number two, which is related but different, is that when you run easy, you actually put yourself in a safer musculoskeletal zone so that you can stay healthy and ultimately then continue running those easy miles, getting more volume done consistently so that it all compounds into a bigger engine. So that's the second reason to do it is because it puts you in a safer zone. I have people tell me all the time, well, I can't run X miles or I can't run that many days per week or I struggle when my long run gets to X distance. And primarily the reason that's true for most people is because they're doing it all too fast. Magic will happen if you do more and you do it at easy efforts, because then that will create a sustainability for your running that will prevent you from having those starts and stops that we often get when we go too hard all the time. I believe along with that, that when you can run more at easy efforts, then that builds a resilience in your musculoskeletal system that only reinforces your ability to do more work. So a lot of times people are getting hurt when they're actually doing fewer days of running or skipping days because they don't have the easy recovery efforts that are going to allow them to create blood flow that promotes healing that allows them to then go do the next hard or fast or long thing. So More easy miles also means better recovery, and I'll talk more about that piece in a second. So those are the reasons to do it. And yet, still, people want to tempt fate. They want to let their ego or what they can present on Strava get in the way of fully embracing this approach. You heard it on my podcast with Lori. My sister, that a big part of her Boston Marathon qualifying journey was really, truly embracing being easy and comfortable on those easy days. I know it's counterintuitive, but if you want to get faster, if you want to reach your maximum potential, you're going to slow down on your easy days and you're going to fully embrace it. So what does that mean? What does that look like? At the most basic level, it looks like running easy conversational pace. We like to call it the talk test, where if your effort is such that you can have unbroken, complete, comfortable conversations with somebody else while you're running, then you're probably running easy enough. That is our best measure of are you running easy enough, is effort, the talk test. But there are other rules of thumb that you can use. One is around pace, of course. I like to tell you, as I've said many times before on this podcast, that if you're running an easy run, and this, by the way, includes easy long runs as well, then your pace should be about 90 seconds per mile, slower than half marathon pace, about a minute per mile, slower than marathon pace, at least on your easy days in order to make sure you're in the right aerobic development zone. But that can extend well beyond that, so it could be 90 seconds to two and a half or three minutes slower than half marathon pace or a minute to two to two and a half minutes slower than marathon pace. If you're running in that range, you will still comfortably be in that appropriate aerobic development zone in order to get the most bang for your buck. And from my perspective, you might as well hang out on the slower end of that range because it's going to give you less neuromuscular and musculoskeletal stress so that you can stay healthy through it all even though we always like to press the edges on this topic. So pace is another way to look at heart rate is the third. If you know your heart rate zones, then you should be staying in zones one and two for these types of runs. Another rule of thumb around that, if you don't know your heart rate zones is 180 minus your age, keeping your heart rate below that level is another rule of thumb that would help you get into the right Aerobic development zone, in order to make sure that you're again building aerobic capacity in the right way while also staying injury free. So, number one, if I've said it once, I'll say it a hundred times stop going too fast on your easy days, just stop, let it go, think about the big picture. You will unlock more potential than you ever thought if you really, really truly embrace this principle. Number two, And a bit of a corollary here, stop running faster than your prescribed paces during speed workouts. Stop running faster than your prescribed paces during speed workouts. I've got an episode where I talk about this on training paces specifically. That's episode 246. I also talk about this a little bit in episode 257 when I talk about junk miles or wasted miles. and. In that episode, I defined them as, in one case, when you're running different paces than prescribed on a given day. But it's so important you have a training schedule and you know what your target paces should be that you hold true to that on workout days. There's a temptation by all of us on easy runs to go faster than we should because we think that's better. And there's also a temptation by all of us to go faster faster than prescribed during workouts because we think that's better. But I'm here to tell you that it's not better for a couple of reasons. One is because if there's a prescribed pace on your workout sheet, your training schedule, then that prescribed pace is designed to give you a given physiological benefit that's going to ultimately help you build toward whatever your goal may be. And in the case of distance training, half marathon, marathon training particularly, in these workouts, we're working a variety of paces for a reason. Because sometimes we're trying to work on aerobic strength, which is our ability to essentially sustain hard paces for longer and longer periods of time. That's also called endurance. But also occasionally we're working on top-end speed. We're working on VO2 max, our ability to get the max output. From our system. So there's a purpose for each of those workouts that are put and built into a training schedule. And every day has a purpose, and there's reasons to occasionally work one element versus another, particularly as we think about periodizing a training schedule. So it's all built in with a plan, with a goal to work a certain system so that when you put together the entire puzzle of your training block, you have all of the pieces represented. So that's reason number one is that there's a method to the madness, right? And you want to make sure you're working all systems as a part of building to a goal race. And typically those systems are also sequenced in a way that's going to allow you to get the max peak as you build towards your peak goal race, your A race, so to speak. So that's reason number one. Reason number two Is that the distances 5k 10k half marathon marathon? These events are as much about control, rhythm, and efficiency as they are about pushing your limits to the max. For whatever reason, in humans, we want to always push to the edge, we want to feel like we're working, we want to feel like we gave everything in a given workout. And as I talked about last week, it's often not the goal. Typically, you want to finish workouts feeling like you could do one more. But as a part of that, we are trying to work on efficiency and control at pace. So if you think about the marathon as an example, or the half marathon, it's about burning as little energy as possible at pace for as long as possible so that you have something left at the end. You're banking energy, not time, so that you can really push in the end. And, and you're running paces that in theory you can hold for 13 or 26 miles. So they're not that hard. And yes, your top end speed is important. That helps you become more efficient at your given math, marathon or half marathon pace. But what also helps you become more efficient is being able to dial into pace, whatever pace that might be prescribed and try to make that pace feel as easy and comfortable as possible. So that's something I constantly remind my athletes of. If I've prescribed 200s at 5K pace, for example, that should be a relatively easy interval to hold 5K pace, it's only 200 meters. And you might say, well, why would I do 200 meters at 5K pace with plenty of recovery? Well, because there's a time and a place For you to try to run 5K pace for 200 meters, which is infinitely manageable, but through those reps, try to make that pace feel as easy and smooth and relaxed as you can. Same thing for reps at any other pace. Oftentimes, it's not about finding the edge in a workout. It's about settling into the prescribed pace and then trying to make that pace feel as easy and smooth and relaxed as you can working to control your breathing, working to control your heart rate. That skill set, that ability to relax at pace is as important in the overall equation, maybe even more important for the marathon and half marathon to you reaching your max potential. Because again, if you can hold half marathon pace as smoothly and comfortably as possible for longer, then that's going to translate to better results for you on race day, but the same applies to all other pace ranges as well. And yet, most of the time, for our ego's sake, or for perhaps simply the instinctual human need to press and find the edge, we always want to feel like we're killing ourselves, that we're on the edge, that we're out of breath, that we feel like we're pushing to the limit in workouts. And that's frankly counterproductive and not a part of anything I would ever write in a schedule, 99% plus of the time. The vast majority of the time, I'm going to give you manageable intervals, manageable paces, manageable rest, so that you can work on efficiency at the target pace. Now, that doesn't mean the workouts won't be hard and rigorous and difficult, because certainly they are in my programming. But it does mean that you're going to have the ability And the space to work on being relaxed and efficient at pace versus pushing and finding the edge. And yeah, there's a time and place for that, sure, but it's less frequent than you might think. And it's certainly not gonna happen outside of me assigning that specifically to you by giving you really rigorous spaces to go chase on paper. So that's number two stop running faster than prescribed paces during workouts. It's counterproductive. Instead, work on your efficiency. Work on being relaxed at pace. Work on making that pace given feel as easy and comfortable and relaxed and smooth as possible. That is where the magic is. Okay, number three, switching gears a little bit, stop skipping meals after hard hard or long sessions. Stop skipping meals after hard or long sessions. Fueling is so critical, and I'm talking about this for everybody. After a harder long session, your body is doing two things. One, it's looking for the raw materials for repair. So you want to have a balanced meal, carbs, fats, proteins, in solid quantities within an hour to 90 minutes of exercise so that your body can grab up those raw materials and put them to work to rebuild after you've torn it down during your workout or your long run. Additionally, during that same window, the body is most efficient at restoring resources so that you can have them for your next harder long session. So if you're eating carbs after a workout, then your body is more efficient at restoring those carbs as glycogen than it would be at another time if you waited. So, very often, we're on the go, we're busy, we might do a morning workout or long run, and then have to rush to the next thing. And instead of having a proper meal, we grab a bar on the go, we grab something on the go that's not adequate for our needs to refuel our body so that we can not only repair and recover, but also so that we can restore the fuel that we're going to need for the next hard or long session. So, you are absolutely shortcutting your recovery processes and your ability to then go do the next thing by not fueling properly post run. And obviously, fuel throughout the day is important, but in particular, these windows post run are absolutely critical. So, stop skipping meals. I think for most of us, this is breakfast because we're on to the next. We've got to take the kids to school. We've got to get to work. We've got to get to whatever we may need to do for the day. And so we're rushing that first meal of the day after a hard or long session instead of investing properly in it. And all it takes is a little bit of planning. I get it. You might say, I don't have time, but make time, figure it out, put it as a part of your routine to make sure you're getting a robust, filling, balanced, meaning balanced by macronutrients, carbs, fats, proteins, meal within 60 to 90 minutes of a harder long session period if you're not doing that you're not recovering properly and ultimately you're not going to be able to invest in the next harder long session the way you need to so please stop skipping meals after hard sessions next one number four stop skipping recovery runs stop skipping recovery runs we talked about easy runs and the importance of going a pace that's appropriate. But we also have to make sure we're getting in those recovery runs. Recovery runs should be happening after every hard session or long session. Just like you shouldn't skip meals after those sessions, you also shouldn't skip the active rest part of the equation, which is that next recovery run. As Coach Marilyn has said on this podcast, motion is lotion, movement creates blood flow, which promotes healing. By running easy on those recovery days, it becomes the grease to the wheels, the glue that helps you hold it all together so that you can then go to the next harder long session. So again, that means after every quality workout, the next run you should do is going to be an easy recovery run. After your long runs, the next run you should do is an easy recovery run. Sometimes people get in the trap of saying, well, I'm too sore after my long run or my speed workout, so I shouldn't run the next day. And the truth is that soreness the next day is a sign that you actually need that recovery run more than ever. So take that as a cue, as a signal, not to skip the run, but actually to get out and do it. And as I talked about last week in my episode of running intuitively, of course, make sure you're listening to your body, you're letting your body dictate the pace on those days, meaning you're starting glacially slow, you're starting painfully slow on those days that you're particularly sore so that your body can ease into it and then actually get the benefit of the recovery run versus hammering it out. But make sure you do it and you do it at the appropriate pace. You should finish those recovery runs feeling like you're better off. Then when you started, if that's not the case, that means you're going too fast on those recovery runs, but please, please don't skip your recovery runs. They are the grease, the wheels. And if you have to rearrange your schedule in a certain way, make sure that you have an easy recovery run between every speed day and long day. Full stop. You have to do that. One of the themes I see with injury is when people slam those together for whatever reason. It goes straight from speed workout to long run or straight from long run to speed speed workout without the easy recovery run in between. And what happens? They get hurt because their body hasn't been given that opportunity to repair itself through easy movement, through the easy movement, which creates blood flow, which promotes healing. So please stop skipping those recovery runs and If you're in a situation where you say, well, I can only run three or four days a week, then now may be the time for you to think about adding some easy recovery runs to the equation, which again will help you actually stay healthy in the big picture if you give yourself that opportunity. Of course, it means going easy enough on those days for recovery runs. The rule of thumb that I like to have would be that your pace be at least two and a half to three and a half minutes slower than half marathon pace, and two to three minutes slower than marathon pace, or slower. If it has to be slower than that, if that's what your body's feeling on a given day, then please, by all means, give your body that. Technically, you can go too slow, but as a practical matter, most of us can't. There are days when my recovery runs are four minutes slower than my marathon pace, and that's what my body needs on that day. That's what I give it because those days it's less about aerobic development, even though that is something that's happening, and more simply about that movement, which creates blood flow, which promotes healing. It allows you to then go do the next hard or long thing. And those that are really investing in keeping these recovery days as easy as possible while still doing them are the ones that can then reinvest that extra energy into the speed day so that you can get the most out of it. I promise you, it will feed on itself. I think sometimes, too, people think, well, if I'm going to miss a day, then it should be my recovery day, because that just seems less important. Maybe it's a shorter distance than I might be doing on the other days, or it doesn't have a workout involved, or it's not a big long run. It's not something that seems to be formative towards getting to the end goal. And so they... Feel comfortable skipping it simply because it seems less important. Oh, it's a short run. No big deal. I'll miss that. Don't fall into that trap. We build fitness in recovery. We build fitness in recovery. When we're going fast, when we're going long, we're tearing our body down. Just like if you're lifting in a gym, when you're doing your workouts, you're tearing your muscles down so that they can build back stronger you get stronger with weightlifting in the spaces between workouts because that's when your muscles are rebuilding back to stronger than before after tearing them down. Same concept is true with running. You're tearing your body down in the hard sessions, in the long sessions, and in recovery is where fitness builds. So don't skip those recovery days. Use those signs of soreness or being stiff or tight as signals that you need to get out there and move. And if for some reason you live in the Northeast or Canada or someplace where it's too snowy on a given day or too cold on a given day to go outside and you need to do something as an alternative, find some other way to create easy movement. If running isn't an option, whether that be stationary bike, whether that be swimming in an indoor pool, doing an elliptical walking on a treadmill, if that's your only option move use gentle movement in some other way to promote a similar stimulus so that you can then go do that hard or long thing next so that's number four do not skip your recovery runs before we get to number five i want to talk about my sponsor in better help thanks again for their support of this episode They are the largest online therapy provider. It's a provider that I've used myself. I've also used in-person therapy resources here in Austin to help deal with grief associated with the loss of a friend. Therapy is all about being your best self. And I can tell you in those situations where I felt like I needed it, those situations, not in dramatic ways, but in subtle ways, I felt like I wasn't Myself, I wasn't able to operate as myself. And so seeking out professional help really helped me get back to that place of just feeling like myself again. I've also worked with a better help therapist to talk through discussions on parenting strategies related to having a challenging teenager in our household who we love. But I'm learning as a parent and we're figuring it out in this new phase. So whether you need to feel like yourself again, or whether you just need some practical advice on dealing with a life situation, I highly recommend better help. It's convenient. It's flexible. It's easy. It's online and it's affordable. You can go to their website, betterhelp.com, fill out their questionnaire to get matched with the licensed therapist. Then you can try them out. If you don't like them for whatever reason, you can switch therapists really easily. They make that therapist finding process Really simple, which I found challenging when I was going through it on my own. So remember, if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash running rogue today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, forward slash running rogue for 10% off your first month. Go check it out. Okay, let's get to number five on my list of things to stop doing to be your best running self. Number five, stop giving yourself too little time to prep for a race. Stop giving yourself too little time to prep for a race. To me, this is, again, a classic mistake people make is that they sign up for a half marathon or a marathon and they've only got 10 to 12 weeks to prepare versus an appropriate At least 16 week, but ideally in our situation, 20 to 20 week, 20 to 22 week plan, where you can appropriately build all the different steps in the process, so that you can get to a higher peak on race day. Because what happens when you short circuit the process, you end up with a smaller peak. The best analogy to use here is if you think about a pyramid: the bigger the base, the higher the peak. The bigger the base the higher the peak. You have a small base, low peak. And so if you give yourself time to work through the appropriate periodization model to build a big and strong base, then you're going to get to a higher place. And to the extent that you can also string together consistent training year-round, you'll see that build on itself as your base becomes even bigger and ultimately you can get to higher peaks. And again, the phases, as I've talked about before, are... Base building or priming is a better word for it that we like to use in those initial phases. Then you get into the aerobic strength phase where you're building endurance. Then you get into a race-specific phase. Then you get into a taper phase. You got to have time for all of that if you want to reach your highest potential in any given race. But instead, too often, people want to short-circuit things. Not plan far enough out. Start at 10 or 12 or 14 weeks out even and ultimately yeah sure you can have a decent day by starting at those points and there have been plenty of times where i've had to cobble together a plan of that link for somebody for whatever reason maybe that an injury early in the cycle and had a gap and then had to put something um, something together to get you to race day yeah sure you can get to race day and potentially have a decent result but if you want to reach your highest potential if you want to reach your best possible peak then you're going to put more time into the full cycle so that you can give it its proper due and work through the sequence of training periods in the best way with the right sequence, with the appropriate amount of time spent on each so that you can ultimately get the most out of yourself when it matters. For this topic, I wanted to share a quote that I saw or was reminded of this week. And it is by Edwards Deming. He said, it is not enough to do your best. You must know what to do. And then do your best. It is not enough to do your best. You must know what to do and then do your best. So, the point there is that, sure, I have plenty of respect for somebody who can get ready for an event and do something without proper training. Plenty of respect there. But the real magic, the real inspiration comes from those that know how to properly prepare, that are willing to do the work to properly prepare, and then put their best into race day to see what they can get. That's the kind of stuff I'm interested in as a coach is when somebody is willing and has the courage to do the full work, to prep in the best possible way, to put, their, but to put themselves into that vulnerable place of saying, look, I've done everything I can. Now let's see what I'm capable of. That's to me where the real magic is, where the real inspiration is. And that is a scary place to be. And so many people want to sabotage that so that they have an excuse, so they can say, well, I only trained for X weeks, so whatever result is okay. Or they might even brag about doing a race on no training at all. That has no interest to me. The real magic, the real inspiration is those that know what to do, are willing to do it, and then put themselves in that vulnerable space of saying, look, I'm as exposed as I can be. I've done all the work. The only thing That's left is to see what the result is. And that, again, is vulnerable because it means whatever the outcome is, is a better indication of what's really possible for you. And that's scary, but it's also really powerful. And if you're willing to do it and you're willing to keep doing it consistently, that doesn't mean that you're going to get the result you want every time. It also doesn't mean that you're fully defined by your results. It just means that you've given yourself the best chance to put your best foot forward to ultimately someday see what that true potential is by giving everything, by doing the full amount of work so that you can fully test and prove what's possible for you. So that's number five. Stop giving yourself too little time to prep for a goal race. Number six, stop waiting until it's too late to address a little training issue or niggle. So many times I've had this happen where somebody will tell me, I'm out, I can't run. And I'll say, well, what happened? And they'll say, well, three weeks ago, I started to have this pain and I kept running on it and did the same things that I've normally been doing and it got worse and now I can't run. And as a coach, there's nothing more frustrating for me than somebody three weeks into experiencing pain telling me about it. Because oftentimes at that point, if they've continued to hammer on it without making modifications or without trying to preemptively deal with the issue, then most likely they're at a point where they're going to have to take some time away and address it in a a way that's going to be more disruptive to training. So please stop doing that. Your body is giving you signals all the time about whether or not you're training too hard or whether or not you might need to give some TLC to a certain area. And just like I mentioned last week about running intuition related to injury, it's so important to listen to those signs as soon as they pop up. And sure, there's a difference between general soreness that might go away after a few days and a potential niggle or issue that could become an injury. And that's something you have to learn. You have to learn to discern over time. But in general, I think people's intuition on this is pretty good. Listen to your body. Notice pain. It's telling you something. And at the first sign of it, the first sign of something out of the ordinary, you need to address it proactively. And as I've said before on this podcast, usually where you're feeling the pain is, Often not, if it's soft tissue related, not the cause of the problem, and so you got to figure out what the root cause is, and there are ways to do that. Doing some foam rolling all around the area, you might be experiencing pain, checking in with your coach, checking in with any providers that you might use as proactively as possible so that you can get ahead of the issue, so that you can start to prehab before it becomes a full-blown injury by doing whatever it may be, strength, mobility, self-massage or massage or some other modality in order to address that issue proactively. Because another immutable fact of training for marathons or half marathons or anything else is that there's no such thing as a pain-free cycle. When you're pushing your body to the limit, when you're really trying to get the most out of yourself, you're going to have things that pop up. That's the reality. We all want pain-free cycles, but those just don't happen. You're going to have to deal with something. And if you deal with whatever may be proactively before it becomes a full-blown injury or issue, then you're going to be able to stay ahead of it so that you can keep training. Because most of the time when something's just a small minor issue, you can still run through it. You can still even potentially do workouts. Now, you may have to modify things. You may have to make adjustments. You might even have to cross train a couple of days. Each of those situations is going to be case by case. But the overarching theme stays the same, which is at the earliest sign of an issue, start to address it proactively so that it doesn't become a full-blown issue. Instead of powering through blindly, hoping for the best, just hammering on that injury as if nothing nothing has changed without proactively doing anything to try to get to it. And then at some point down the road, and it might be one week, two weeks, three weeks down the road, it's going to become a full-blown injury that will then require more time away. As I mentioned last episode, the general rule of thumb on soft tissue injuries is that if the pain is three or less and doesn't get worse as you go, then typically you can still run on it, or do some other form of cross-training. But when it gets beyond that point, that's when we need to stop, have a bigger intervention with some sort of medical provider, and then likely disrupt our training in a way that's going to affect our potential peak on race day. So stop waiting until it's too late to address an issue. That's number six. Number seven is stop tearing yourself down in your head or out loud. Stop tearing yourself down in your head or out loud. Here's something I can promise you, regardless of where somebody sits on the degrees of fast spectrum from the front to the back of the pack, I promise you all of us are insecure in certain ways and all of us have negative self-talk that's going to pop up that that is likely going to be the dominant Voice in our head, unless we work proactively to silence that. And, and what I'm talking about here is not completely silencing self doubt because that's probably always going to be a part of the equation for everybody. But what I am talking about here is changing the percentage of language thoughts in your head that are positive towards yourself versus those that are negative. You might say, well, Chris, I don't think this is that important. This is the, the soft stuff That silly. Really, it's all the physical training stuff that matters. But I can't tell you enough how important I think this is and something as a coach I see consistently where people come to me using language about themselves that is just horrible. It's language you wouldn't use about anybody else. Things like, I'm not a runner. Things like, in some form or fashion, I'm not worthy of achieving the goals. I'm slow. I'm not good enough. I can't. Those are the words that I consistently hear from athletes that you might think on the outside have everything put together. And again, I'm not throwing stones here. Believe me, I have my own self-doubts and my own negative language that I use towards myself in my head that I have to check myself on. But what I want you to do is be aware of it first. So anytime those thoughts creep in, flag it, notice it. And then start to reprogram it. We have to dominate those thoughts with positive ones, through positive self-talk, through mantras that are going to change the dialogue in our head. And then also through simply owning and giving ourselves grace to believe that we are strong and fast and worthy. Because I'm pro- I can promise you, anybody who's listening to this podcast, who's taking the time to actually learn and invest in the sport in the way that I teach it, I don't care what pace you are. I don't care what degree of fast you are. You are worthy of your goals. You are worthy of believing that you can reach your goals best potential, you're worthy of thinking that you can dream as big as possible and still probably not have a full conception of what's possible in your life because you just don't know better. Those are the things I want you to start owning and stepping into because it absolutely matters. If you're willing to do the work to get your best result from a physical standpoint, then you should also be willing to do the work from a mental standpoint to step in and own that as well. And believe me, there's no better sign that you are mentally prepared for that than listening to somebody like me talk about this stuff. So it is my mission as a coach to get people to believe. I've had people that I've coached say things like, I used to never think I was an athlete, but now I'm starting to believe it. I used to never think I was a runner, but now I'm starting to believe that. Believe me, that conversation I've had with all degrees of fast. I've had people say, I used to not think I could run a certain time, but now I'm starting to believe it. So what I want you to do is one, again, start noticing when that negative self-talk kicks in or when you start to use self-deprecating language with others. And ask your friends and running friends to help you stay accountable to this. Stop saying you're slow. Stop saying you're not worthy. Stop saying you're not a runner. Stop giving yourself caveats and couching yourself in negative ways. And instead, change that language. I am strong. I am fast. I am worthy. I am capable of whatever goal you might have. Use that language and create positive affirmations that you visually see all the time and that you say out loud audibly to yourself, even if it's as cheesy as doing it in the mirror, so that you can start to reprogram your brain to believe. Sounds cheesy, but I promise you, it matters. Stop tearing down yourself in your head. Stop tearing down yourself with your words. Change that language. Number eight, and I'll borrow a quote from Marathon World Record holder, Elliot Kipchoge, you can't chase two rabbits at once. So number eight is stop chasing too many rabbits. Stop chasing too many rabbits. Our body is designed in a way that allows us to have two or three peaks a year. And yet, so many of us want to have our cake and eat it too. And certainly, there can be situations where two goals might be compatible within the same training cycle. But no matter what, it is my strong belief, and the evidence I've seen in countless, countless coaching situations is that people need to pick, choose an A race, pick a primary goal within a season to go after. Sure maybe you have other races that build around that that can be build races but those should all point to that A race they should be additive to you getting that A race versus if you're trying to chase too many rabbits you end up suboptimizing your training and you also end up typically suboptimizing your racing because you're not allowing yourself to peak properly you're chasing too many peaks so that requires focus and prioritization And as I've talked about in episode 299, you have to pick the thing you want. You have to figure out what you want from this sport. And again, you can have many goals, but you want to prioritize those. What's most important? What's true north? And why do you want true north? So that you can then start to build your plan around that so that you can get the thing that matters most, which means building your training cycles in a way that builds towards that number one goal. It also means making sure that you're focused within a season with a single primary goal, a single peak to chase that might ultimately be additive towards that big macro goal, but it has to all fit together. And you can't chase multiple rapids in a season. And ultimately I think You want to have a number one goal that's most important, that's top priority so that you can build all things towards it. And it doesn't mean you can't accomplish other sub goals or other lower priority goals along the way. Oftentimes those things can be compatible, but it does mean that you're putting all of your energy in one basket so that everything, when you're making training decisions points to the thing that matters. And also as I talked about then in that episode 299, so that you can make sense of what you're doing. So you can say, hey, I know how this workout or this training block with this goal race ties to the bigger goal so that you can stay motivated along the way. But too often I see people say, well, they want this and they want that. And they're sub-optimizing both as a result instead of truly putting... All of their eggs in one basket, as we would say here. So they're truly only chasing one rabbit, as you might say in Kenya. But if you want the most out of yourself, then you won't chase two rabbits at once. You'll chase a single rabbit at once. You'll catch that rabbit, and then you'll go about chasing the next one. So that's number eight. Stop chasing too many rabbits. That's going to prevent you from ultimately reaching your maximum peak. So there you go. 8 things to stop doing to reach your highest potential. Again, I don't say these things for my benefit. These are all things that I believe I say it, say them for your benefit. Because unequivocally, I believe it's important these steps, stopping these things are important to you achieving things beyond your wildest imagination and I am so so passionate about that, about people doing things they never thought possible. So I'm not saying these things to be mean or to baby you or to say it because you can't handle X, Y, and Z. I'm saying it because I want you to do things that you can't currently imagine or that you don't currently believe you can do. I want that for you more than anything. And so that's why I'm telling you to stop doing these things because that's going to unlock your potential to do things you never dreamed of. So that's the vein of this episode. Hope you take it as such and stop doing these things on the list. All right, with that, we'll wrap this one. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Roguerunning. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.